Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. We like that. All in one place for totally free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your cellular telephone or your computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else, those other places that podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify, and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&As and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions, and best of all, it's totally free zero catch we've been using it ever since we started how long gone and ever since i discovered spotify for podcasters i feel like having the option of turning off the q a's and the polls on the user dashboard <laughs> has really helped uh, boost my creativity and take it to another level i highly recommend giving it a try download the spotify for podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started Chris, what the hell is up, bro? Hey, bro. You're quick on the draw. I like when you answer fast. Mm, we have no time today. To, we have no time. To dilly-dally. It's a big, it's a stacked Thursday, isn't it? It's a stacked Thursday at, at How Long Gone Industries, and I'm sure separately at, at Them Jeans Industries and Done to Death Projects uh, LLC and Public Announcement uh, as well. Mm. You know? so, there's, there's a lot. A lot. All of our verticals are very engaged today. Verticals be booming, uh, and it's dude. It is hot as a motherfucker outside. It is hot than a motherfucker at one hundred percent. It was I was like two days ago. I was doing my uh, my yard work outside, and and the skin melted off my hand while I was shoveling, affecting my tennis game yesterday, as you know. Uh, I mean, I appreciate your excuse for my victory um as a person who's been dealing with an ankle injury on and off for months uh i'm glad to see the tables turn where big tj uh took a little tumble i did lose i was unable to hold the racket with my hand i had to use <laughs> i had to use my fingers i had to hold the racket with my fingers and it was i tough. like i like how you're i like how you're trying to spin this as the 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 <laughs> that your fingers are not connected to your hand, which I really like that spin. Well, you know, you know when anatomy. you when when you imagine you you know like a baseball player swinging a baseball bat, but you you can't hold it in your hand. You you only have to cradle it or, or support it by your fingertips. So yes, so that's yes, kind yes. of the that's the vibe at at hand, pun intended, and that that you know it, it causes me to have no control, no power. Um, and you did I unfortunately beat me uh, <laughs> three games to two. Four games to two. Mm. Well, the next time we play tennis, I will make sure to beat you six games to zero as per uh, our <laughs> scheduled tennis programming. <laughs> Bitch, you do love carbs. You love a bagel. We know that. Um, well, I, I still I slept really well last night. I think all that physical activity really put me in a nice place. You sleeping like a little baby? We had we had pine and crane for dinner last night too, which I forgot how good that is. Yeah, it's very very good. So you had all kinds of wood ear mushrooms and things like that. 
I went hella hard on the mushies, bro. You already know. I'm like you with the with the trippy shit. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Good. Well, t- tonight Bay is cooking up a, a feast of Vietnamese vegetarian cuisines. There'll, there'll be a little shrimp in play, though. Don't worry. That's okay. You know, I like to dabble in the in the oceanic arts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that that'll be served up at our uh, at our wrap party. <laughs> Rap party for for episode one, season premiere pilot episode of of our Twitch show. Um, how how are you excited. feeling about how how are you feeling about going motherfucking live globally all across the world, pinging the towers from Seoul to Los Angeles to New York <laughs> to Moscow? Uh, yeah, I you know like I was like I was touching on yes or the last episode. You know, there I am. The the excitement of having a visual medium to play with is is balancing out the you know the unsure nerves of what what could be going on you know once you go live you know you're removing the safety net there's no um, you know if if you fuck up if you do a bad job if if the joke doesn't land I'm not able to cut that out in post. I'm not able to cut that in post. I think that you're doing the most surgery on yourself in post because Chris don't miss. <laughs> that is true. Uh, all, take, that all of, to, take that to the bank. Yeah, baby. All, all, not every one of my jokes land, but every one of your jokes land. But I do have Perfect. to do a, a decent amount of pruning uh, on each file, depending on what you know, what things you may have said about your past that you would like to be scrubbed. You know. But you're, <laughs> you know, up. you're normally a pretty open book, but you know, everyone has their, has their little hangups, you know, which is fine. We, that's true. Th- and thank you for that service. And that's why I, I'm, I'm glad that I have a nerd on my side who knows how to make his way around the MacBook screen and keyboard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it'll be a little interesting, you know, much like, you know, watching, watching the debates a few days ago. We will be, you know, we will be delivering without an audience, so there will be no, you know, we'll laugh track. Yeah, we'll have no laugh track. You know, and this isn't, you know, whatever. What what like news shows do the laugh track like all of like Bill Maher yeah, or yeah. or like yeah. Well, I think that I think that luckily, you know, you're able to make me cackle pretty easily, so I can I can be that voice that you need, that reassuring mm, chuckle. Doesn't take much for this crow to caw. Thank God it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. But you know, I'm I'm very happy because we're you know we're taking this seriously, Jason. We're having in studio guests, live in studio. Fuck COVID. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're having. We're willing to risk it all to give you guys content that you're not going to get anywhere else. You know. So I think that inviting uh, New York visitor Bryn Walner, aka Bryn, Bryn Trill, um, mm-hmm. onto the show, take kind of takes it to another level. I, I don't know about you. It does. It literally takes it to another level. You know. Be, not everyone will survive. Not every guest that w- enters our our studio will survive because of our super spreading nature. But you know, these are the uh, these are the eggs that you have to break in order to make well, a perfect omelette. Bryn, I, I'm, I I'm say- saying Bryn will not. You know, she will not live to see the month of November. Most likely, once she's and in the same but- room as us. That's the power of how long gone. She's willing to basically kill herself mm-hmm. to be on the premiere of of our Twitch program. Yeah, Gary V style. She's she's got to kill herself <laughs> for the for the placement and uh, and do, for that do we you, thank her. Do you even hustle? Do you even hustle, Jason? I thought I did until I until I got his uh, master class and apparently you know not no longer. I le- I've learned so much. What if Gary V had a master class? That would be pretty good. 
Well, I mean, we can we can make a fake very Gary V masterclass, you know, for one of our pre-recorded segments in the future, perhaps. That's a that's a pretty good idea. Um, I like the, actually, I like that a lot. That's a good idea. Uh, did you Thanks. you do we we didn't talk about the debates, right? We we met well, that was we were getting ready for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We the last episode was this the day that they're airing is when we recorded, so we did not talk about the debate. It uh, you know, Chris, you have two minutes. Your opening statement. Um, the debates were hot fire, uh, <laughs> and the those two guys were absolutely unhinged, and it was incredible to watch. And I don't know. I know that I should view it as like this is the end of society. This is so depressing, but unfortunately. My dark soul found that kind of entertaining and kind of funny, and I left halfway through to go to Erwan. So I wasn't even that engaged. Right. Um, I mean, you didn't. But, I I I, le- I finished halfway through to go water the lawn. That's how uh, that's how rough it was for me. But it was. I'm I'm leaning more on the other side, the opposite of you. Of like, even like I guess it's the equivalent of like when you go over to, you know, someone's house and they have Fox. Fox News on the television and you're you're so used to getting your news from Twitter and you know all of your yeah. co- cool smart people news sources that when you when you see somebody watching Fox News or you know anything like that you're like oh my god I forgot that this is it's how the here. majority of our country consumes news and it it just makes you like it I, I had like a physical like ailment forming from just watching it for a while like it was it was it was making me like just my body was was feeling unsure and had an odd tingle to it after watching it it was just it fucked me up so it was kind of like you know it was funny to watch but i just you know it was it was a very unpresidential debate there was really nothing presidential happening whatsoever it was just you know it was like a high school bully arguing with you know the smart nerd that's also too old there was there and no one no no one is going to win they're both playing two different games it's just a bunch of horseshit for an hour i well, it was an hour and a half that's the hour crazy and a half. part it was it was it was it's, tough like literally anyone could have done a better job than than joe biden unfortunately well, I mean, I think I don't think Trumpito was fully on his game, but I mean, the polls I saw showed Biden like killing him, but I think those are kind of meaningless. Yeah, they're pretty meaningless because I mean, it's no longer a debate, and they're and they're talking about po- the possibility of adding in a mute button because of because Trump is unable wow. to you know not talk for he, five minutes or two minutes. He he can't stop himself. It's like Jason in, in the back room of Cinespace at three a.m. Yeah, I always have to get, you know, you always have to get that word in, that little dig or that little remark and and Trump, that's, you know, that's the the one of the things that Trump is so good at is just like whatever you throw at him, he's got a canned response ready to fly that you know, you 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 don't want to, you know, stoop down to his level and play his his, you know, kindergarten bully game. But you kind of have to a little bit, or else he will just beat you at this debate by default. Luckily, luckily, um, sleepy Joe Biden has already created merch uh, that says, "You know, shut up, man," <laughs> or whatever his whatever his you know cool quote yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that went would viral. You, would you just shut up, man? Man, I've had a, like that's 
that's that that is that says everything that you need. You know, you 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 have exactly. you have just like a a passive little sloth going up against this like rabid moronic, you know, tiger who's just going full force gnarly the whole time. Guns blazing, ready to roast you, and he's just you know you you gotta hit back with something harder than than. Hey, oh, buddy, be qu- be quiet. That's a bunch of hooey. <laughs> you're you're making me annoyed, bro. Can you stop? Mm, would, I mean, yeah, would you just take a you know, give me a break, oh brother? Yeah, it was a lot of oh brothering, but I I am happy that absolutely nothing was accomplished, and that's what I expected to. Ha- so you know, it lived up to all of my expectations. Yeah, nothing was going to happen. We all know exactly what, you know, what Trump is going to do and he did. You know, it's it's just like watching like a basketball game or a football game where you're like these are the teams they this they do this stuff and this team does that stuff and then you watch them and you're like we knew they were going to, you know, rush, you know, rush us the whole time or you know, I'm using a football term or whatever. We knew they were going to blitz us every play and they uh blitzed us every play and then uh they <laughs> they won. And you're like, okay, yeah, no, I, maybe you should have done a little strategy to, you know, the prevent the best, against that. The best part is watching the like undecided. The fact that there are undecided voters in this country is absolutely crazy to me. And watching them be like, well, you know, I just, I, you know, I just didn't like what what he said. I just <laughs> didn't like it. And you know, I'm, I, you know, I just, I found that offensive. I, I found it offensive, <laughs> and that's why, that's why I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. I watched that on CNN. And it's, it's just crazy what these people like. What the, these like minor issues that people are drawn to make their decision on is is just really backwards thinking. Right, right, right. And uh, that those those undecided people, the people who have no real fire burning inside of them whatsoever, those are the you know those are the ones who are easily swayed by yes. you know manipulation in the media and whatever. And you know those are those are the people who are make the difference between you know I don't know anyone who's personally going to vote for Trump. And, you know, you go to, (coughs) (laughs) no, I don't either. Other than my co-host. And, you know, if I go to some, you know, Ku Klux Klan rally in Oklahoma, I'm probably never, never going to come in contact with somebody who knows they're going to vote for Biden. But all the people in the middle who are just like, they don't like either of them. And they're going to, that you know, they're going to end up voting, you know, fiscally Republican just because and because they hate either of them and both of them and it doesn't matter or. You know that that's the dangerous stuff. Where Sh- show me the emails, Jason. That's what I want. You know, I'm still, I'm still caught up on that. So if we could move past that, I would be happy. But you I know, mean, everyone's bad. And the the one thing that I was watching was like, you know, I wish uh, the first thing you think of is like, damn, I wish Bernie was here because he at least has a little, you know, a little more piss and vinegar flowing through his veins, and he'd be able to to you know square up and uh, essentially break the ankles or cross up. Trump every once in a while, but you know all we all the people that we have on our side of people who are trying to take Trump down are literally just too old. Like you know, Bernie, a forty-two-year-old Bernie, I would love to see him squaring up against Trump right now and running circles around him. But you know, Bernie is eighty-two and not forty-two, and he's just like he doesn't know what room he's in. Probably he doesn't. None of these guys know where they are. It's. I mean, it was look. Trump, tr- look, Trump needs to lose, but man, that debate was a loss for all of us. You know what I mean? It that was. was really what it was. I can't get the hour and a half back. It, it's worse than podcasting with you. Um, oh, no. We do, we I, do, we. 
That's false. We, false and fake news, Chris. My we, podcasting we is awesome. We don't have a guest I, today. Fuck you, Chris. How long gone? Um, a a this podcast. Um, we do have a guest today. Um, mm. Matt, Matthew Schneier, uh, an incredible New York resident, a uh, friend of mine. <laughs> Who, One of the uh, most tremendous feature- residents that you guys he is have. A tremendous, he's a tremendous resident of New York City, but he's a features writer of New York Magazine in The Cut, uh, formerly of the New York Times. Um, he's a very funny, very bright guy, and I can't wait to see him and TJ duel. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so uh, in, a, in a New York versus L.A. breakdown, and I want to ask him about Jewish food specifically because he's, he's a big celebrator. So, Jewish um, food? Okay. It wasn't it just a Jewish holiday yesterday or today? It was. Yom Kippur was last week. I think I'm saying it right. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so let's give him a call and talk about Jewish holidays and the presidential debate. Shalom. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Say goodbye to swiping left on lackluster meals and swipe right for the one brand that will make your taste buds swoon. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef design recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, I like to chop myself, or quick microwave meals that are assembled in minutes, Home Chef has you and your entire family covered for delicious meals, witty options per week, and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. I'm keto now. Not only is it convenient, but it is also economical. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Mamma mia. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering my listeners... Our listeners, 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert faux life at homechef.com slash how long. That's homechef.com slash how long for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash how long must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. <laughs> how Long Gone is brought to you by Nutrafol. As you know, you know, hair thinning is quite complicated. Like your skin, hair is a reflection of your health. Uh oh, and internal factors can impact the way your hair looks, feels, and most importantly, grows. Nutrafol's whole body approach multi targets underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker, stronger hair. Go ahead, give it a tug. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth suppy with over 1 million people seeking thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with considerably less shedding thank god take the first step to visibly thicker healthier hair for a limited time nutrafol is offering our listeners ten dollars off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to nutrafol.com and enter the promo code how long all one word find out why over 4500 healthcare professionals and stylists and professional stylists recommend nutrafol for healthier hair nutrafol.com spelled n-u-t R-A-F-O-L. I got Raph on the nut. <laughs> dot com promo code how long. That's neutral.com promo code how long. How long gone is brought to you by our dear friends at BetterHelp, Jason. BetterHelp. You know, the summer travel season is coming up. 
Luckily, my BetterHelp therapist also fancies themselves a bit of a travel agent. So for maybe the first half of our sweet sessions, we were spent off, obviously off clock going through, you know, hotels, ferries, <laughs> car rentals, restaurant recommendations. It's as if I have two wives. I have two wives inside of me. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, so uh, it, it is a fun way to find and connect different therapists. You get one that you really like. You guys are gossiping. You guys are chit-chatting. You guys are talking about your personal interests. Next thing you know, it's time to actually do the work. So it feels good building those uh, mental health relationships with people you actually like. And on BetterHelp, there are so many different therapists to choose from. I don't like anyone. If you're thinking of starting <laughs> therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash long today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash long. Nice. <laughs> Well, hello. <laughs> oh, hello, Matt. What? What an entrance, Matthew. this guy! I wow. mean, I heard that this was audio only. It is audio only, but you can turn your camera upside down. But thank you for giving us a peek. We got the screenshot we need. I mean, this is like fucking dark. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna need you to throw a little Photoshop on this bitch because I have not taken a shower. I mean. Matt, hold on. Matt, Matthew, hold on. You haven't taken a shower. It's it's 5 p.m. New York time, basically. It's late in the day, Kang. What's going on with you? We're, we're working hard, you know? We've got time for that shit. <laughs> you don't have time to shower. You know, I make showering and physical fitness a priority in my life, so I'd love to know what your priorities are besides stacking guap. I mean, this this is why you're such a stud, and I'm here in the, you know, in the minds of journalism. <laughs> I didn't... Do not... Never, please don't call Chris a stud. <laughs> well, I got last night. I went live on Instagram with Jeremy O'Harris, and he he claimed that I've been gay baiting lately. And I said that I've been gay baiting since I can remember. Mm-hmm. I was going to say you've you've been gay baiting since the moment I became aware of you. <laughs> oh, da- wow. Down by the dogs, <laughs> <laughs> Matthew. Could you could you elaborate a little bit on some of his schemes and strategies that you've seen him use in his gay baiting? I mean, you know, it just, it it all took a turn when he decided to get into shape, clean himself up, get the Mm. hotel room in LA. You know, it's all, uh, it's all part of a a long game, a con. (laughs) I'm a con, I'm a con artist, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, mean, listen, a hundred episodes deep, I think it's working. (laughs) I mean, have you, have you listened to this podcast? I, I have I every time a friend of mine is on it I listen and and well that makes me sound like a real douche right so, sometimes I listen if it's someone I don't know but we'll, we'll, uh, but we'll I, take that well that's better no than I'll nothing. take that I, I I yeah I wonder I mean we've had a lot of your friends on I feel like so do you well, feel like, I, do you feel like yeah. we're late to you or do you think this is the right time for you do you wish you'd been on earlier well you know I hope you were you were saving me till you got the the kinks ironed out and you know mm-hmm. for all anybody knows I haven't been available for these last you know what, oh yeah that's right 36 that's right. That's right. weeks <laughs> for the last six months you've been unavailable I'm unavailable <laughs> I, you know, but he, but here we are now the date we've had from the beginning I mean I you know I'm I I love your work and, and just you as a person but I want to hear about um I want to hear about Jewish holidays from you. <laughs> 
Um, because I feel like I, you know, as a, as an Anglo, as, as not chosen one and Jason, I, I obviously not chosen for other reasons as well. Um, it's not but, obvious. I've been confused for a Jewish person my whole life. I, I, don't know. I, I think I think I sort of assumed that you were of the tribe, but but it is true that you were uncommonly tall for yeah I was for a say. semite yeah that's my that's my that's my one tell as they say <laughs> yeah 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 I mean so so what let's break I want to break down the hierarchy of Jewish holidays for me to understand what's the most important what's the best food even though the food's kind of all bad but I, I want to hear from I want to hear no. from an expert. Well, well, I, this is really putting me on the spot because I am uh, what's euphemistically called sort of culturally Jewish, um, which means that I'm going to to hell for my my non-observance of of all the the sort of significant shit. But I, as far as I understand it, um, and I did, you know, I grew up Jewish, I was raised Jewish, my family's Jewish. You know, the the most important holidays are the high holidays: Rosh Hashanah, which is New Year, and then Yom Kippur, which was just on Monday, which was the the Day of Atonement, where you where you fast and then, you know, to to atone for your sins, to absolve so yourself. Day of, Day of Atonement sounds like some AA stuff. So let me just understand: Are you are you or a hardcore you, band? Or a hardcore <laughs> band? Yeah, I mean, just so what are you actually doing? Like, what is the actual act, or is it more of a meal with your family and everybody's together? Well, you're you're supposed to go to to temple, which okay. which I did on on Zoom or whatever you know Zoomish platform this year. Um, <laughs> you're not you're not supposed to work. So, you know, well, you, it's, it's a very serious holiday. You have to take. But it let off. me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Did you take it off? Let's be honest. Yes, I know. I really did. I, Yom Kippur, I actually do take seriously. I have to say okay. that it, it's. I don't know if it's a funny story, but it's my first job out of college. Um, I was working at the New Yorker, and as it happened, my like first day was Yom Kippur, and I hadn't realized we call when that we were a negotiating. Where I'm from. So, uh, you know, <laughs> we. I, I guess I mean I should have known, but I didn't know, and it was this thing where I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I can't, I can't ask for my first day off. Like this is my first job, yeah. you know, full time job basically ever. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I got to do it. I guess I got to just assume that, that God is going to understand. And I, you know, sort of screwed myself up and I made my apologies to my my parents and my Lord and whatever else. And I went. And of course, I was like assisting. I was an assistant and I was assisting three women, all of whom were Jewish or Jewish <laughs> enough, yeah. and all of whom had taken the day off and had never thought to tell me. Oh. And so oh, no. my my punishment for working on, on the highest uh, holiday of the year was that I literally had nothing to do uh, and no one to do it for, and just wander around. That's a, that's a lot of time to think about your sins, though. Which maybe maybe that's God's plan. Actually, you know what I mean. Uh, you know what I think. I think that might be right. I mean, you're, I, that that is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to you're supposed to really think about, uh, you know, the people you've wronged, and they they go through this whole litany. There's there's a number of uh-oh. of I'm sins. Out. You know, we have we have coveted, we have committed blasphemy, we have mocked, we have something, we have something else. Uh, you know, and you're supposed to kind of beat your chest as you as you recite them along with the rabbi. And you know, I don't. I don't think you, it goes as far as AA does. You know, you don't have to sort of call people and make specific amends. Sure. I, I think there's something about like dropping pieces of bread in like a river, but mm-hmm. I think know. wait, that's the. I think you're confusing that with the ballots. But continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, then then you you fast and you hope that that God is going to inscribe you in the book of life for the next year, and. You break fast with a traditional uh, Ashkenazi meal of like bagels and schmear and lox, uh, kugel. I, mm. I like a noodle kugel. Many people do not like a noodle. I kugel. feel like I feel like you're leading with all the good stuff. Keep going. 
you know, I mean, we're we're not like a super super you know sort of home cookie family. Like we, yeah. I, I picked it all up from from Russ and daughters, so. So it was kind of all good. I mean, it would not have been as good. Are you? Uh, wait, are you yeah. from? Are you from? You're from New York, aren't you? Born and raised, baby, New York City. Wow, boy. wow, this is very cool. I, you might be the only one we've ever had on the program, Jason. What do you think? I might be. We've the had only had one other Jewish guests. Been. We've had other Jewish guests on, Chris. Not Jewish guests. <laughs> I mean, I mean, born and raised in New York. Copy that. That's my bad. No, no. I mean, he might be the only one. Yeah. What What neighborhood are we talking about? Upper West. Uh, first of all, that's a hate crime. Not all Jews are on the upper side. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying you're, to understand. But your Chris, culture. you're 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 sweet for assuming. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was born at London Terrace. Um, wow, which is that, this guy is flexing all over me. Jason doesn't know what that is, but I don't know. The birds live there. The birds live there, sweetie. The the historic home of Debbie Harry. Um, oh, a bunch yeah. of great people have lived there over years. We we were in the rental tower, not the sale tower, but you know, be that as it may, twenty fourth and. <laughs> You Ninth, didn't have to I do think. that. You didn't have to do that. You let people assume. This is the honesty of journalists bothers me. To, you know what I mean? That, that's I. You, you could have let people just guess for themselves. I'm laying it on the line for you. Thank you. So, so you were born in London Terrace, which is incredibly chic. Were your parents in the arts? No, not at all. My my dad's a doctor. My mom sells real estate. Um, you know, was a social worker before I was born, but then had to afford to raise me in New York, so gave it all up uh, to become a real estate broker. Uh, sorry, mom. And <laughs> from there, I, you know, my, my great shame is that I don't actually remember uh, that apartment. We moved when I was, I think, like nine months old, 10 months old. Mm. So I don't, I, don't, I don't have any sort of visual memories of, of London Terrace. But from there, we moved down to, to City Hall. And then from there to the sort of last glory days of, of Tribeca, which I, I feel like I have to specify because Tribeca now is so douchey and so wow. like bankery and, and just like full of shit. That, that Did you I, go to high school in Tribeca? No, 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 no. I, I thank you so much for mentioning. I, I did not have the opportunity to go to Stuyvesant, the uh, the city's most elite public magnet school. Um, I went to high school at, uh, I went to Friends in, uh, on 16th Street. Mm. Wow, this is really a New York tale. Jason's discombobulated. You know, he's from Orange County. He doesn't understand these words. So I, these I are these I mean, are buildings that you're saying, and and, and how does this work? <laughs> it's uh, we we prefer institutions, um, uh, but because I've I've seen a lot of Gossip Girl, not all of it, and th- some of these names are starting to strike out to me. But honestly, I, I, I can't imagine that. Anyone is still listening to this podcast. I think this may have been the most alienating intro. No, Russ you've and ever his done. daughters are the only ones still listening. <laughs> that is not that is not true. This is information people need. You know what I mean? We like to get mm-hmm. the scoop behind the artists. You know what I mean? We're not looking for fluffy stuff. We're looking for hard hitting behind the scenes, what drives yeah. the man mm-hmm. kind of talk. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, so, here we go. I was I was ruined in early childhood and I've just carried it with me forward <laughs> to present day. <laughs> did did you go to high school with any celebs? Did I go to high school with any celebs? Um Celeb offspring. No. Yeah, yeah, celeb offspring. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I briefly overlapped with your friend of mine, Lena Dunham, um, but she's a couple years younger than yeah, me, and that, funny, and that was in you, middle school. Funny you bring up our queen, Lena. I actually met her at the Sunset Tower just a few weeks ago. I mean, name drop ahoy. Chris, did you hear? And- no, and it was honestly, it was great. I'm just saying, I, I didn't know her then. I've only hated on her because of her output. 
But now that I know her personally and she was very nice, I have to change my tune, I think. Now that he knows was... her one time, he has to <laughs> exactly. start exactly. seeing her. Well, it's a, it's a classic to... Hollywood story. It is. Exactly. A one-to-one interaction, though, does change my perception of people. Because if they're a monster one-to-one, they're actually a monster. Well, Kurt, you know what Chris, I mean? that, in that's... addition to being a super spreader, is also superficial. <laughs> that's that's true. I'm a lot of supers, and those are the two leading. <laughs> He's a very leading. super guy. I'm a super guy. Um, did you? Were you hitting the New York City nightlife scene in high school? I was hitting. I just want to say for the record that I think Lena's a lovely girl and has only ever been wonderful to me. I don't. I don't care to be taken out of context. Mm-hmm. With I would fake, never with your fake news bullshit on the. That is not fake news. That is just that's just my personal take. But I, I will, you, we'll remove that statement in post. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did, were you hitting the clubs? I I wasn't so much into the clubs. I was um I was the world's least convincing punk in high school. Uh, oh, that, that was my vibe. Very cool. What are we talking I mean, about? You know, I it, it was. I mean, this was back in the day, but it, you know, it was that very kind of like Saint Marxy, spin the yeah. cube, manic panic, bad piercings, bondage pants. You know, okay. Walk me vibe. walk me through the piercings. I there weren't that many. I I. I you know, sort of famously had uh, the original septum ring back when everybody was still horrified by them before they became fashionable. Mm-hmm. You know, Matthew, I also had a septum ring, so I'm glad we have that in common. Is that right? Do you still have it? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. And I was, I was really disturbed when they came back as like a chic thing you would see on models. I was so confused. I mean, I just remember like I got mine when I was like 15. I want to say 15, 16. And I, listen, I didn't, I, obviously I did not have the first septum ring, but like they were rare enough that people used to move away from me on the subway. People found them so viscerally repellent. And wow. so I, you were, I, you, I, were I, just I, a, you were a badass, snotty little punk. You would, you would throw up the uh, reversed peace sign British style to say piss <laughs> off when, when somebody moves to the other side of the subway car, I'm hoping. Well, you know, the thing was, yes, I mean, that's what I wanted to be, but I also wasn't ready to give up, you know, being a high-achieving, neurotic-type A student body president type. So, <laughs> I Hold on, you were, the, you, were, you were the student body president in bondage <laughs> pants with a septum piercing. She does it all. I, and, well, that, I, ha- I have to give credit where credit's due. That is the beauty of, of Friends Seminary, a 60-person per class, you know, downtown private school. Welcome I think to everybody New York was, City, Chris. It's like this every day. Everybody cool. was confused, but nobody was uh, was ready to protest. So there we were. <laughs> what kind of tunes were you? Now, were you into the, like the classics? Was it like a Clash kind of vibe, or was this like a New York Ramones? You know, what was your North Star? Or was it like was, a No Effects type of situation? No, no, no. Thank you. That's that's <laughs> a little a little below us. Uh, <laughs> Just I was it over. <laughs> I was very like New York. 77 scene. I mean, I loved like Richard Hell. I loved television. I liked Ramones. New York Dolls, etc. Yeah, that that sort of thing. So, I mean, you know, again, it's like I alternated that with show tunes, so it was always a little bit of a (laughs) a kind of schizophrenic moment, but I I maintain that you can contain multitudes and, and just have space in your heart for both. You know, this is very cool. I actually didn't, I did not know this about you at all. I had, I had no idea. You buried it deep. No, I'm I'm forever threatening to show people pictures of myself in those years because I feel like I was actually kind of cool then, and and no one believes it now. So so sort of studious and professional have I become? Mm-hmm. Did you did, were you going to shows off? Were you a CBGBs like mainstay, or was it more of a a, a look? 
It was it was it was a little of both. I didn't go to CBS that often. I mean, I was friends with a cr- kind of crew of people that were much more legitimately into the scene than I was, and so yeah. we would go to shows. But uh, you know, they would be these random shows for bands I'd never heard of at like you know the Jewish Cultural Center in Midwood because it was the only place that would like rent out you know a ballroom yeah. for six dollars to you know whatever idiot kids and you yeah. know they'd Jason, wash themselves. Jason, Jason and I have been to many places like that in our lives, so we we understand. I've been to a lot of you know, suburban basements for that same kind of effect, which those don't really exist in New York though. So it's, it's a little harder. Ukrainian cultural centers, things things like that. I mean, ABC, no Rio, like was a, you know, was a squat that used to have shows. It was disgusting. And someone was always pissing in a corner on the floor. Actually, I used to live right near ABC, no Rio and I hate it. I thought I I truly hate it. I truly hate it, but I wasn't there in the heyday. You know, I thought it, is it not gone? I thought it was like no, finally gone end now. of an era. It's gone. It's gone. No, no, it's, it's gone now. It's when I, when that, that my first, well, well, not my first apartment, but my second apartment in New York and Lower East Side was right near there. Um, there's a, there's a blue bottle next to it now. So oh, things, sure. have, things have changed. It's a life Rivington club and blue bottle. You know, the block, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, I, I was always a dabbler. I, you know, you're going to get letters from people saying I never saw that get at, uh, at ABC no real, but you know, when, when you could fit it in around AP classes, I would, uh, I would do it. Wow. Again. What a flex. I love this. I, Jason, <laughs> you're talking to two high school. I dropped out of high school. Jason made it out, but I think barely. I uh, you know, B's and C's. That's about right. Did you, did you go to college in New York or did you leave? I left. I went, uh, I mean, I left barely. I, I went to, to Yale. So I was in Connecticut, which was, you know, might, might as well have been an express subway right away. How far, how far is it actually an hour and a half? Uh, hour 40. I think. Okay, yeah, that's a vibe. What's the vibe in New Haven? Were you wearing a lot of sweaters then? Did you switch the look up? Did I switch the look up? I my look in college was honestly so bad. It, it is uh, it really like an ongoing humiliation to me. Um, <laughs> because you know you're you're finding yourself. It's a transition. I was mixing in the things I used to wear with the things I thought I was supposed to be wearing. I mean, it just was not. It was well, what, it was not what it was supposed to be. What is um, the what is the look at Yale in general though? Like at that time, is is it a little buttoned up, or am I am I am I just making that up? I think that's more sort of the perception than than the yeah. reality. At least at least when I was there, I mean, there wasn't any one particular kind of overarching thing. I mean, obviously, you get a lot of kids coming from you know the Andover, Exeter, St. Paul's of the world, and yeah. they have one particular look. But you also have a lot of like idiot New York City kids, and like they look you know whatever else. I mean. The first time I ever heard of J Press was in New Haven. There's a J Press on Oh yes. God York Street, I wanna say. Um, which is sort of what I imagined Yale would look like. And it didn't it didn't really, but you could find that corner of it if if you want it. I mean, I guess honestly yeah. you just had to go to J Press. Yeah, yeah it's, it's literally on the corner, it's the J Press store. So you can just walk in. So I they mean, have actually... they have a juice press in Connecticut, is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. If you need to get a shake after your after your morning workout, you know what I mean? After comparative literature, you just do a pump and then you get a shake. It's kinda I can see I can see Matt's Matt's whole yeah, schedule Chris, now in my mind. Yale's starting to sound pretty good after all. Yeah, it does. It does sound pretty good. I, I do now. Do you did you make a lot of friends there that you're still in touch with, or do you think you have moved on? Uh, no. I mean, I, I I made some some good friends for life there. I mean, there are people people that I still work with, people that I still see all the time. Um, you know, I mean, a lot. Everybody basically moves to to New York if you're yeah, in yeah. the kind of writing, journalism, media sort of corner of the world. So. Uh, it, in a sense, I've never left for for better or worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if your first job was at the New Yorker, I mean, you know, it sounds like you were in a feeder program. 
Well, you know, the, the, the secret slightly trashy truth is that my first job at the New Yorker, I, maybe I shouldn't admit this. I mean, talk about, you know, letting, letting the lie take over, but my first job at the New Yorker was in ad sales. Wow. This guy. Wow. <laughs> so you're blasting SIGs, just working the phones in the basement? <laughs> it was the, uh, was it the 20th floor or the 21st floor? I don't, I don't remember which floor it was, but it, yeah, but yeah, basically. Um, but the, I the mean, New Yorker ads are like funny. Like what, what are you selling? Well, we, I was selling, you know, may, maybe in a, a kind of uh, preamble to the rest of my life. I was working with the team that sold fashion ads, not not because I had ah. any, you know, particular particular fashion interest, but uh, but that was just sort of where I was assigned. I mean, I I had been the the summer that I graduated, there was a very competitive job open at the New Yorker in editorial, and mm. like literally everybody else in New York, I was desperate for it, and I scrabbled for it, and I submitted, you know samples and edit tests and interviews and, and whatever sure. and I went through the whole process and uh, eventually after I think it was several weeks maybe, maybe it was shorter than that but in my in my memory it's certainly several weeks you know they said to me you you seem great um, we're giving someone else this job but there's a job open upstairs if you want it and at that point I you know I'd moved to the city I'd moved into an apartment with two roommates I needed to make some money it sort of sounded like we'd all be one big happy family, or so I imagined. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and so I took it, and and I was grateful for it. Um, and you know, only in in retrospect, I think like I wonder if they were telling me I should like probably never be a journalist again. You know, trying to shut me off. Were into, you Were you good you know, at it though? I feel like you could be pretty good at that. No, I mean, I was I was an assistant, so I mean, I was I was good at assisting, but I wasn't. You know, I, I cannot lie. I was I was not closing the deals. I was not. The, the, we used to call them the luxury squares that ran in the in the kind of front of book. We we used to really sell those pretty hard. But I mean, I remember I was on all the calls and I you know helped put together all the decks and whatever else. And it was always with the fashion people. They were always like, we just don't understand. Like this magazine is great and it has such a huge you know subscriber base and so many people get it and you know everybody who gets it is incredibly wealthy and it's exactly our market. It's just like where the fuck are the pictures and where are my credits? <laughs> Yes, there's no credits. There's no credits in the New Yorker, unfortunately. And they um, just they couldn't they couldn't get their heads around it. So it, so it was a tough sell. Although I have to say, um, they seem to be doing all right now because half the time I get the New Yorker in the mail, it's like Bottega Veneta on the back. I know. Well, I think it's more. I, I feel like stuff like that. I feel like those kind of brands, certain brands, just want to be in in, in that. You know, it's it's a look for them. You know, so it's like, well, just this is not going to do much for us except make us feel good, which I think is. Honestly, why a lot of people in general subscribe to the New Yorker, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know how many people are making it through every issue, cover to cover. Um, that that uh, it's, it's aspirational to subscribe to the New Yorker. I think. Yeah. Well, listen, I think I think it makes sense for a subscriber. I think it makes sense for an advertiser. I mean, you know, if if you're advertising in Vogue, the people who read Elle and Bazaar and Marie Claire and whatever else, you you don't need to be in all of that. Like, there's a different audience that reads yes. the New Yorker. But I now I'm giving you yeah, my, no, my totally. pitch from. You know the year two thousand, and I don't even remember what. I, but I, you're, but you're right though. You're totally right. It is a different. It is a different person for sure. And that's, isn't isn't it? Is it the most popular? Is it the most subscribed to title at Condé Nast, or is is Vogue number one? Uh, that is a good 
question. I think when I was there, the Vogue rate base was slightly higher, but that may yeah. have changed in the intervening years. You'd have to fact check that. Matthew, you uh, Matthew, when did you, you said you weren't really into fashion back in the day, but I assume that you are now. What, what Was there a, a moment where everything turned for you or is it just kind of a gradual appreciation? It, um, it, it kind of like fell into place more, more than anything I sort of sought out in particular. I mean, I was, I was never into kind of fashion, but I was always into clothes. Um, mm. I was always into sort of, you know, the way how you present yourself and what that means mm-hmm. about you and what community that puts you in and what that leads people to assume about you and mm-hmm. whether or not that's actually true. I mean, that, that was sort of part of my thing with punk is that I love the look, but I also sort of love that, you know, people would see me with the, you know, my bad bleach job and my bondage pants and whatever else and sort of assume that I was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, X, Y, or Z thing. And, you know, actually I was also this other thing and this other thing and this other thing. So I, I was always into the kind of like presentational aspects of it and the, the sort of psychodynamics of it. Um, you like doing but, the old switcheroo. Yeah. I, I, I always thought it was kind of fun. I, yeah, I thought fun. it was, it was sort of, it was, you know, and I, and I, we were always sort of like scratching through Goodwill and thrift stores and vintage stores and, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I mean, I'm not, I, I have never claimed to be, and I, I've always been very honest that I was not that kid that like subscribed to Vogue. I did not, you know, rip out, uh, Calvin Klein ads and put them on my wall. You know, I cannot tell you chapter mm-hmm. and verse of every, you know, Perry Ellis collection or, you know, whatever, <laughs> you whatever, whatever people for, are supposed to be excited about. Uh, you didn't ask for a sewing machine for your 10th birthday? I, in fact, I did. I briefly did have a sewing <laughs> machine and, and I tried to sew, but, but I was extremely bad at it. And, and honestly, it was more because a friend of mine's father owned a sewing machine store, if you can believe that, in the East Village, which what might time? actually even still be there. Gizmo on Second Avenue and Seventh Street. I think. Wow, I feel like if something were to survive, that could be what is still there. I, I, that wouldn't totally that wouldn't totally shock me. Gizmo is a very cool name for that store too. He was he was an absolute mensch. It, it was a, a family of uh, Persian emigres. Um, it, was, it was his daughter was my friend Golris. We were in uh, we were in high school together, and uh, he just made it look really cool somehow. And so I took one sewing class and was extremely bad at it. And never sewed again, but I did. I I still have somewhere in a closet this like truly hideous pair of uh, lemon printed <laughs> pants I made. <laughs> lemon print? That's a choice right there. I think fabric alone, you had a vision. Well, look, Harry Styles could need those. I mean, I was I was gonna say your boy Tom Brown has I feel like done lemon embroidery time and time again. I think you think of a tennis ball, um, but yes, there's there's been some lemons in the in the collection. I agree, and I I you know I'm scared of big prints. I have to be honest with you. I'm I, Jason and I are both into muted color palettes, so I think we could use some experimentation. I I don't think to be clear that I'm I'm going to be breaking out those lemon pants anytime soon, but I I respect the you know teenage me that thought that was the right choice. But would you consider yourself a quiet dresser in the year 2020? I I've gotten only more quieter as I've gone along. I, I have I have sort of gone neutral, and I and I think that that's the right. The I right was going to say I, I don't think it's the right thing for everybody, but I think that that is absolutely the right thing for me. Why is it the well, right thing for you? I just think you know you get more out of people, you get more out of the world if you don't you know necessarily need to to sort of scream your presence quite so loudly. Mm. I, I find that. It's it's always better to be slightly overlooked than uh, mm-hmm. than overnoticed. Do you That's have a, do you that, have a uniform? No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, okay. White t shirt, jeans, 
see this this kind of stuff is hard for Jason because he's so tall, you know. So people are going to notice him anyway. Um, so when he wears his when he wears his short shorts, it's extra noticeable, um, which is <laughs> which is something to consider. Yeah, what do you Sorry. think about? You know, I don't want to bring up the big inseam wars because we, you know, we have a presidential we have a presidential race going on. Um, but I think this is, you know, arguably more important. But what is your what is your inseam looking like? Uh, on, do you wear shorts? Are you anti shorts? I'm not anti shorts. I'm fine with a short. Um, I don't be honest. I don't mind. You know, I I don't mind what I guess the world thinks is of as a short short. I mean, I don't. I do like a five inch usually. There we go. Great answer. I, I didn't know some some New Yorkers are really anti short. I don't know if you're familiar with that line of thinking. I I don't know it as a sp- specific New York phenomenon. I know I know men are often very afraid of shorts, and you know to be totally honest, I have like wild chicken legs. I mean, I just have <laughs> no no calves whatsoever. I'm I'm a hard gainer for calves. So it's it's not that I think shorts look great on me. In fact, they they don't, and I probably should stick to pants. But mm-hmm. you know. I, I respect the work of a short. I think well, in New York, week- I think in New York, they there might be an aversion to shorts because you know you, you're walking around the city, you could get splashed with some some su- subway sewer juice or you know what. You know, that, that's what, that's where antibodies come from. You know, I'm not I'm not afraid of that. Okay, that's a good point. That's a good point. Why well, I, I think that the well that leads me to my next question about your leg workout. Like, what are we doing? Are we skip? Are we skipping leg day? Say it ain't well, so, Matthew. I mean. Yeah. In 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 the good old days of you know a decade ago we we never would have but I mean you you, you know what it's like to build a calf I mean it's just I, it's not it's, it's a not lot a possibility of, it's a, no it's a lot of work and it brings me back to that famous famous episode of MTV you know real life where the guy got the calf implants which I'm sure you remember mm. in in fact I don't you don't oh this is. This is like a classic MTV. You know, are you you're familiar with that show? It's called True Life. MTV True Life. Oh yeah, no, I mean I know True Life. So MTV is like a music video, <laughs> but they also have other shows. Yeah, just to be clear, but they yes, there's a famous episode where this guy was really buff and like looked great, but he just couldn't build the calves. He just couldn't get it done, no matter how much yeah, weight. A, he a lot of it is in the in the genes. You know, na- nature and nurture can only take you so far. Oh, that's yeah, that's he, true, and my my father is is also a chicken legged man. So, <laughs> wow, I wonder where I got. I don't know where I got my shapely legs from because maybe my mom, since she was a rockette, I feel like she might have you know in her mm. day, she hey, might have had some. Better to have a chicken leg than you know, than a than a hefty leg. I say. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I I think you're you're on the right side of history, Matthew. I think you're. On the right I, side I appreciate of that. No way. <laughs> and we also we also needed to, we need to, you know you did. Famously, did the big deep dive story on our arch nemesis podcast, The Daily. <laughs> I was I was wondering which of my stories was going to be your arch nemesis. I was thinking, like, is it going to be Ghislaine Maxwell? Is that like no, a weird no, fit? G- no? We're big Ghislaine fans on this podcast. We, we actually celebrate Ghislaine's work. Ghislaine, we like The Daily. I can't, I can't back. But I mean, did you? So just you broke that the story of his relationship, correct? That was the first time that had been released to the, in, in the world. Uh. I wish I could say yes, but I I think Page Six did an item about it. I think I don't know that anybody really? had spoken to them together about I it, see. and I and I don't think that they had acknowledged it further than to just not deny the. I think it was Page Six. It was it was a couple months ago that story, so I'd have to go back and look. But I, I it was certainly it had been floating around sort of media gossip circles yeah. for several months at that time. I remember hearing it. Um, it it's you know far far earlier than it, that, but fascinates me to no end it really fascinates me i feel like it's it's 
and and maybe I'm just living in a in a you know a different time. I just feel like I've never heard that before. Like I've never heard of that. Kind, I've never heard of that actually happening before in real life. What? Well, so is is this by erasure? I'm hearing. What is this by erasure? I'm hearing. It is no. Yeah, no, it's not by erasure. <laughs> I'm just saying it, it just seemed, I think it was because it was scandalized by, like, because it's page six, you know what I mean? So it's like, it becomes this thing. I've just never heard of a, a man leaving his husband for a woman. I just never heard of it before, like, you know, in a public forum like that. I, I have to say, actually, it was like the single most respectful page six item I've ever read really? in my entire life. Uh, they don't, it, I wonder, I'm surprised they were that interested in that. Does that surprise you, or is it just because it, it was juicy? So you think they ran it? Yeah, I think. I mean, the daily was such a was such a sorry to you guys, but wild phenomenon. You know, I think they <laughs> they want they wanted anything they could get. I mean, apology oh accepted. So, yeah, yeah, you're going to really have some editing to do if I go back and it wasn't actually page six, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was. That would make it's sense. Believable. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, but I mean, I guess I, you usually hear about you know somebody doing a switcheroo the other way around, but I guess you know not so often you hear about. A man leaving his husband for another woman. It's usually kind of you know, the other way around. I I am here to support all switcheroos. <laughs> I, look, this is this podcast is pro switcheroo. I'm just saying I never. It's not. It's not a negative thing. Yeah, we we I, love I, to switch on these hoes. Yeah, we, <laughs> exactly. Luckily, we don't have any producers on this podcast, so there's no fear of Jason leaving me for another man, but or a woman. Um, <laughs> but I, I I don't think that the the I, it was just fascinating to me, and that story. I feel like that story did numbers, right? That was like a big deal. Uh, yeah, I think I think in our corner of the world, it was. It um, <laughs> it listen. It was it was a really fun story to do. It was a weirdly kind of dangerous story for me to do, having literally yeah. just left the Times to turn around and oh, you know, kind of dig into them. Mm. But I think I was, I that, was that frowned upon by the higher ups. I don't. I think. Well, the higher ups at the Times. I don't. I don't have any yes, idea about yes. that. Yeah, I, I mean, I. It seems like it could be. I get it. It's, it's treacherous territory. Yeah, I mean, I think I certainly felt that story was fair. I think generally they felt that story was fair. I think whatever complaints <laughs> they have to make were not about unfairness or, or certainly untruthfulness. You know that. that yeah, yeah. That is a, that is an uncorrected story. I'm I'm happy to say, as as most of mine are. But mm-hmm. oh wow, had to flex on him. I got he stays uncorrected, Jason. You heard that? Even well, even your piece about natural wine. <laughs> yeah, that, listen, I stand by that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I listen. This is going to sound so insane to anybody who who does not come up in you know the sort of very specific hothouse culture of of a newspaper, but. When I got to the Times in whenever it was, 2014, they drum into you such a mortal terror of corrections. I mean, mm, it is truly really? like a big brother Orwellian, you know, there is an omniscient, omnipotent God, mm-hmm. furious Old <laughs> Testament, mean motherfucking God looking over you and like, God help you if you get any single correction. And especially with the New York Times more than any other place, I think, I mean, the readers just live to write in complaints. And they should. I mean, it keeps everybody honest. And it's right. But so I, it truly put the fear of God in me. And I, ha- I have had corrections over time when I was there. I mean, as almost everybody has. But you really, really work to keep them to, to you know, an absolute bare minimum. And, you know, I am never prouder than when I do a story that pisses people off, but there is nothing they can say is inaccurate mm-hmm. or incorrect. Mm-hmm. Damn, this I didn't is, know this was, is I why didn't... we write, Matthew. <laughs> Those highs. 
to, to flex on the host, you know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but we can, we can talk about Gil- Gillane. I don't, you know, cause I, we've talked about that a lot on this podcast. Actually, did it, what was it? I mean, what was that like for you? Was it, was it fun or was it just darker what, well, and darker as the, you went on? What was the, what was the specific angle of that, of that Gillane story? If you don't mind. Well, I started on Gillen. I'd, I'd basically just gotten to to New York Magazine. Um, I'd, I'd made the leap from the Times. It was uh, summer of 2019. Smart like I move, did. By the way, thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I shot out of the gate with uh, a story about RuPaul that pissed off every drag queen in New York. Yes, that was a big. <laughs> I, I remember that. I'm not even a drag queen. I do remember. Why that. did it? Why did it piss off every queen in New York? It was it was this big package about the sort of like drag race economy, the drag race ecosystem, and it included mm-hmm. a ranking of I think every queen who'd ever been on the show. Um, which I, I mean, not not to throw anybody out on the bus, but it literally just was not the part of it that I worked on. Um, okay. I, I mean, I saw it and I read it, and generally speaking, I think I agreed with it. But you know, it was it was this big group project, and they asked me to write the kind of intro essay for it uh, and talk to RuPaul about it, which I did. But when the piece... Had you, had you spoken to RuPaul? Have you, had you interviewed RuPaul before? Yeah, yeah, a couple of times because I okay. wrote a piece I wrote a piece sort of earlier in the life of Drag Race about how the whole fashion industry was obsessed with it when I was at the Times and then uh, Ru was one of the, I think, co-chairs of the Met Gala when I was covering that one year at the Times. So, I mean, we we didn't know each other, but we'd... we'd sure. I'd, I'd interviewed him before. And because the... The package was was this big group project. I mean, it was it was a real lift for you know for the the culture section of the magazine. Uh, there was no one byline on it. It was you know it, it was sort of just an unbyline package. Mm-hmm. And my byline was one of the few that did appear because I wrote this one specific intro essay. And so mm-hmm. all of the queens were super pissed off that anybody had the temerity to rank them, which is mm-hmm. ridiculous. They, I'm sure, rank themselves and one another, you know, behind closed doors <laughs> private, constantly. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but, but they didn't care for that to be made public. Um, and obviously, like, with all rankings, you know, anybody you ask is going to have a different one. So everybody had, you know, critiques, fair or unfair. Um, and mine, of course, is the name that's most easy to find in that whole thing. And so there was a whole, there, there, there was a blowback for a minute. It, it seems to have passed and, and hopefully wow. I'm not, I'm not it's, reigniting it now, but no, it's okay. We won't, we won't, you know, it's like when I tweet about Taylor Swift, you learn to, you know, put a star in for, for certain characters so that people can't find you. Well, you just, you tweet it and then, and then you sign off for a few days and hopefully by the time you're back, you know, it, it's, it's over. It's, it, the storm has passed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was new to New York magazine and, what had happened? I guess. I guess Epstein had just been arrested, and had not, obviously not yet died. And I died. Like the, <laughs> Interesting choice of term, quote unquote. You know, quote profe- unquote. Professionally neutral over here. I, I think it's incontrovertible to say that he he is dead. Well, <laughs> but further than that, I don't. I don't hope to specify, but. I, you know the the Gillen story they they gave to me because I was you know sort of on the you know that that kind of nexus of glamour and social life and a little bit of fashion and a little mm-hmm. bit of trashiness and you know a little bit of culture was was sort of very where I was. And You're so, a no brainer for that piece, I'll say. I appreciate that. I, I think, I, or or maybe that's an insult. I can't. I, I still haven't totally figured it out. <laughs> 
but they, you know, it, it was sort of before I think anybody realized how deep all this went and, and mm. you know, how, how kind of tangled a web it all was. And, and my story was, it wasn't the first time she'd ever been written about, but it was, I think, the first big piece um, that, that really kind of tried to give a sense of her, her life in New York during the years that she was in New York, um, you know, with, and, and then also a bit sort of post Epstein and then, and then this kind of disappearance where she, she vanished. And a lot of the, the first piece, cause it, it became a series, but a lot of the first piece was people who'd known her at parties just saying like, you know, it's, of course we had no idea what she did. You know, it's just, it's not done to ask what anybody does. You know, you just assume yeah. that if they're at the same luncheon, that you know you're you're kind of the same class, and and you know we'd, we'd we'd never dirty our our hands by wondering you know how how that came to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like people kind of glaze over the fact that her dad was this like, I mean, basically a, a media scion in in the UK, correct? Absolutely. I mean, owned owned the Mirror. You know, made made a play for uh, for some American papers at some point. I mean, was was sort of fancied himself a kind of Murdoch competitor. And I think for a minute was a Murdoch competitor. I mean, you know, he he certainly didn't. He, he came to a much more ignominious end. Uh, yeah. You know, and and it was raiding the pension fund and all sorts of things. But that was like a huge media story of the 1980s and it's you know it's when you realize that like everybody's vantage point except the real real lifers um can, can be quite narrow i mean i wasn't super familiar with them until researching that story and then you go back i mean there's like an amazing gossipy fun crimey um new york magazine cover story from I don't about know, him. the mid to late 80s uh, about him and you know and she makes a little appearance and and you know it points out that his yacht was called the Lady Guilain after her I mean there there was great stuff in that and and if you go back if you go to the old times coverage all that stuff I mean that's the shit that I absolutely love about about journalism is just sort of like rifling through the archives and doing the research and and finding the stuff that's sort of buried but but in no way extinct um yeah. and and this was sort of an interesting story for that, I mean, there was so much paperwork everywhere. I mean, court paperwork, and you know. Oh wow! Uh, I didn't uh, think the, about that part. Yeah, like really, did were people willing for the? Are, in this instance, were people fairly willing to talk to you, or did you run into a lot of roadblocks? No, I mean, people were people were real cagey. Pe- people were were certainly cagey, <laughs> uh, which which I understand. I mean, and and you know, all all credit and, and eternal thanks to those those who weren't. I mean, there are always people that you find eventually that are just like. You know, say fuck it, and and mm-hmm. are happy to speak on the record, and uh, you know, they, there's a special corner of heaven for them. Mm-hmm. Do you think with people like that? Do you think it's because they feel? Do you think they feel like it's the in the right thing to do, or do you think they've been scorned or scorched by the by the person in question? Like, what do you? What leads someone to crack when they know they probably shouldn't? Besides, obviously, your amazing questioning. <laughs> uh, I I think it's it's. Everything. I mean, I think it's that yeah. they, you know, they, they think they're doing, you know, something just and, and are on the side of right. I think oftentimes they're trying to fuck someone. I think, you know, other times they may not admit it to themselves, but they just want to see their name in print. I mean, all of mm. these are uh, excellent and, and kind of exemplary reasons to uh, to speak to me, and, and I welcome them all. And, and, you know, got, <laughs> I, I'm very I'm very happy to triangulate, you know, however many of them I, I possibly can. <laughs> I mean, I do think that part. I always find that really interesting. I, but I didn't think about the name and print thing, which which does. I forget that in in some instances that could could be a driving force. I mean, it's it's not for everybody, but you know, there there certainly are people that I've covered that wanted, you know, that that 
saw themselves as as extremely worthy of of coverage, and and in many cases they were, and you know, but but are looking to sort of help you help you help them, and you know, as as long as you as the journalist are maintaining your own objectivity and writing the story that you want to write, and you think the the facts lead you to, then there you go. Do you find it difficult to stay objective in something like this that's so polarizing and also gets so much news? I mean, it's just everywhere. It's like unavoidable to be influenced a little bit. Are you able to just put your head down? You know, I, I do my best to put my head down. I, I never wanted to be an opinion writer. Um, you know, must be and, nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's nice and it's not nice because you know you people love reading takes, and I just I don't really have takes every so often i have a take but it's usually like a dumb take i, I honestly don't understand how your mind works like that I, I don't understand how people i'm so in i'm just so quick to react to things that i i don't i can't even imagine what it's like on the other measured side <laughs> well it's, i mean i react to plenty of things but it's it's not the job and i and i never thought it was the yeah, job yeah, and i yeah, never yeah. and i never thought anybody wanted my opinion um, you know, I, I of course think they're, you know, perfect, unimpeachable opinions, but it was always clear to me that, you know, what I was being hired for was not, you know, the, the perfect sanctity of my, you know, uh, my, my genius thoughts. <laughs> well, that felt like an attack, but go, yeah, continue, please. Uh, no, I mean, I think that that, that just seems, that seems very, very difficult to me, but obviously that's personal, you know what I mean? But that, that part of it seems, seems very difficult, especially when there's like crime involved, you know what I mean? Which to yeah. me, there's like a right or wrong objective issue there. It's not like, do I like this painting or do I like this music, you know? Well, but it's also like, listen, you know, I'm, I'm not the cops and I'm not the court. So it's, I, I could be appalled by someone's crime and and I very well may be, but my job is not to yeah. you know to be judged during execution or my job is just to try to figure out what the story is and tell it and in an impartial way. When you know when when I'm reporting, I mean I have a sort of weird remit because I also have been and sometimes still am a critic and that's a totally different skill set. Well, we should talk about criticism because people are saying it's dying. But doesn't that happen every like ten years? I think it's always dying. And then somebody else comes yeah. and and you know pumps new life into it and and it's you know it's ne- it's never it, it may always be dying but it's never dead mm-hmm. our, our, our who was talking about that jason jonah our last episode i think he was talking about how rappers are the best they they accept they seem to accept and yeah. and, and like criticism more than any other genre of music he's ever covered Mm-hmm. Because they were, uh, you know, nobody in their circles ever ever shoots them straight, and they're just, you know, hoping to get, you know, a real honest take and and use it to grow as an artist versus be pissed off yeah. about it. Which I was surprised to hear. I didn't. I didn't think that was going to be the take that he. You know, if yeah, out. if you're if you're the kind of person who has no problem, you know, shooting somebody straight, giving them some raw info that they might not feel happy about it, as a means of bettering that person's career or, or output in the long run, you know, those people need to be able to do it still. Look, I, I back criticism a hundred percent, but what kind of criticism are we talking about? Are you doing, is it television, movies, music, theater, hopefully food. <laughs> I've done, I mean, I've, I've done a, a couple different, different types. I mean, Way back in the day when I was at, at Style.com, I was one of the runway critics, so I was doing a lot of fashion criticism. I How did. could I forget about your legendary stint at Style.com? My God, I should have <laughs> led with that. The greatest, the greatest website that ever existed. The greatest website that Condé Nast ruined. 
<laughs> they really, they really did. That was that's where I got my start. That was that was given an opportunity there, and that's when I that's where I was given a little leeway to to spout my bullshit. I will be forever thankful. But so, who was your editor? That was it. Was it Noah? Noah, yeah. And it was Noah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that my Noah was my my successor. I mean, Noah, Noah took the job when I left for uh, for the Times. I didn't realize. Chris, that. I didn't what were you writing about back then on Style dot com? Literally whatever I wanted. Um, <laughs> what was that thing called? They had Matt. It was like a. It was like a contributor thing they had where it was like people all over the globe and there was. Like oh my god! Yes, 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 yes. Um, but I, I basically just like took it seriously and did it every week, and I always had original photos and like it really. I just put a lot of work into it. I think no one else did. It was basically the <laughs> the what what I understood. It was like Virgil Abloh would post once every six months. It's, it's not that's not who it actually was, but you know what I mean. It's like that kind of right, thing. right, right. You're the only person uh, dorky enough to take it seriously. But honestly, the thing that's heartbreaking is that you know all of that content is gone, gone now. As as far gone. as I can tell, I mean, I I was just, between men.style.com and style.com. I was in that ecosystem for I think six years and. Everything I did for them is talk, is basically talk about, gone. Talk about erasure. That the, <laughs> the 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 wayback machine. I mean, yeah, I, I forgot somebody, uh, someone who used to work for me actually screenshot all of that for me at one point. I had it somewhere, but like, it, yeah, it, it's strange that that's all good. Did you work on the? Did you work on the Men's Vogue, the print version? Uh, not not the Men's Vogue, but the uh, Style dot com backslash print was its incredibly oh, weird name. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about that. Style, oh, I, so I was I was the deputy on Style.com print, and and I love that magazine. I maintain that that was a good magazine. Um, how many how many issues were there? Like three or four? No, I think I think by the end there was like seven or eight. I mean, I okay, left. Okay, okay. I left before the end, but I personally worked on at least four or five. Uh, which I mean, they must have had a print run of about eleven issues, and you know, I I have them now, and and you know, we'll we'll keep them forever. But I don't know that you could find another soul on earth who who has it. Maybe you do, but I but I doubt it. First of all, I don't. I do have some full. I, I I'm missing a few issues of Index, my favorite magazine of all time. Um, oh. But I do I do have almost a full collection of those that I've pieced together over the years. Um, but uh, I, I don't. I'm losing my. I, I buy magazines still like that, like old, like I, I buy a lot of old ones still. But I, I don't have that that fire burning to put together the whole collection that I did when I was younger. Right. I, I you, don't know that I would have it. I I'm not a big magazine collector. I mean, I, I love old magazines, and it's such a like wild pleasure and mindfuck to go through them. But I'm not someone who has like reams and reams and reams of of old paper. <laughs> you're, you're you're saving the trees one man at a time. I you know I just like I already have so many fucking books. Like I just I don't have any space in my apartment to to collect and eventually have to move. So uh, well, what are you gonna, what are you going to do with the books? Though are we going to start a library? Are you going to donate them? Are you going to hoard them? I mean they're they're especially they're worthless. They're not worthless, but they're you know they're not they're, yeah they're not they're not collectibles. I mean they're they're, they're, book, they're books for reading. Yeah yeah. yeah. And and I'm happy to have them, but honestly, I, I honestly don't know how I could ever move at this point because there's too many of them and they're too heavy. And and actually, I don't even know how I would disassemble my bookcase at this point. But well, like, I don't know, Matthew, does that does that mean you're going to be a, a New York lifer? I mean, I think I think almost certainly. I I would like to say that I'll do a, a sabbatical somewhere else. I'd like you know, mm-hmm. I, I've been told I need been to away? see the world. But is the longest you've been away <laughs> Yale? Was that the longest you've been away? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, for any any kind of duration, absolutely. That's pretty crazy. I don't know if I can handle it. I don't think I'm built for it. Why would you leave the greatest city in, in, in America, Chris? I mean, New Yorkers are incredibly provincial. I'm incredibly provincial um, because we we can't go anywhere. And we don't. I mean, some people do, but <laughs> but I've I've never heard of such a thing. And, and I certainly am not going to be the first. All, all the skills you've picked up your whole life are, are absolutely no good anywhere else. I, I mean, I used to really be nervous that I was like, truly such a kind of, you know, rare orchid that I wouldn't be able to like breathe outside of New York. I mean, I very <laughs> specifically remember having a therapy session when I was in high school being like, I, you know, I don't know, is it is it okay to to look at, you know, I don't even remember where I was looking, UCLA or something? You know, what what is it like there? Is, is I, it, I require you know, a certain microclimate uh, <laughs> in order to live. I don't, what, that, well, what do you think about LA? Just in I, general. I've I've come around on LA. I was I had you know the sort of native New Yorker knee jerk uh, LA antipathy, and I'm glad to say I've gotten over it because I I think LA is super fun to visit, and to me like seven days is the perfect length of time there. Mm-hmm. After that, I start I start getting a little itchy. I mean, part of that probably has to do with the fact that I have only been a licensed driver since last May. So Congrats. if I ever that was my that was my next question. Welcome to high school. Um, thank you very much. Did you take lessons or did you just wing it at the, at the driving test? Oh my! I mean, have we have we met? I don't. I don't think you want to see me wing it in an automobile. <laughs> uh, no, I I took lessons with um, a wonderful former respiratory nurse named Jay at Drive Right Academy of Prospect Heights, Brooklyn. Jesus Christ! So does that mean <laughs> you do you do you keep a car in the city then? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I am proud to say that I got my license um, mm-hmm. first try. Thank you very much. Well but I. I am certainly in no way really prepared to mm-hmm. to to keep a car, to own a car, to drive by myself. I mean, it's it's very embarrassing because I have a younger brother and a sister, both of whom grew up in exactly the same circumstances I did, and both of whom, um, though I will live to regret saying so on air, are, are excellent drivers mm-hmm. and have been driving since I think high school and early college, and think it is patently absurd that that I mm-hmm. barely can. Um, so I, I can't. But you even can change really the oil them. in a car or something at least, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can take off every tire. I could break every window, but you know, all, all the things you need to do for a car. But mm-hmm. driving, driving remains remains the sort of white whale for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I can do it, but it, you don't you don't really want to be in a car with me. And I, God knows, I'm not ready to do it on the LA freeway. So sure. why 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 did you do this at all? Just a personal accomplishment to to get your license at, later in life? Was it was it just a personal challenge, or did you need it for some purpose, for some reason? I I didn't need it for any immediate reason. But you know, I'm I'm you know now on the north side of thirty, and it it just started to seem a little bit ridiculous that like, you know, if you kidnapped me and dropped me off like eight miles outside New York City, I truly would have to just live and die there. There would be no way for me to to humanly escape. It sounds like you could like at the- least mine some content out of this as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I want to read the diary of this learning process. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I wrote a piece when I was at the Times, um, a very strange piece about how <laughs> summer was anxiety season for non-drivers because there was all this expectation of like driving and weekends away and could you go to Montauk and could you whatever. Um, probably like a cancelable piece at this point to, to suggest that you know you have <laughs> to go to Montauk or you know the, not checking my privilege or whatever else. But um, a, a very weird piece. That, and in the course of it, I was meant to get 
the license that was going to kind of be part of the piece, but somehow it didn't come together, and it was still like a further, I don't know, two or three years after that. Actually, before Chris it even has started. a similar article about about ride, learning how to ride a motorcycle, where he then failed, yeah, I did, he failed yeah, the test. I failed the test, and I still went to Wisconsin for the Harley 100th anniversary. Wow! Um, how could you forget? And did, did did you subsequently pass, or you're just still unlicensed? Uh, I'm unlicensed, and <laughs> I, I, but I was in Wisconsin with Harley Davidson and like a stunt rider, and like I did all this wild shit on the back of this bike with this guy. I mean, could you insane. imagine this queen riding a motorcycle though? First of all, I would never. <laughs> I hated it. I hated every second of it, and it's it's crazy to me that people choose to do it for fun. That's the thing that I mean. Obviously, everybody gets their you know their kicks different ways, but mm-hmm. like. It is so stress inducing for me that I like couldn't ever un unlock the the feeling. Sure, I I I mean you you just quite simply couldn't pay me enough. Like I don't <laughs> I I yeah. There, there's really nothing more I can say. I mean I you know sometimes you're driving or being driven and and see uh, you know see a motorcyclist in the in the next lane. I mean, is that even what you call them a motorcyclist? I mean I sound like I'm 150 years old, but. I, <laughs> It, it just it fills me with such a sheer terror. I mean, even people seeing people on these stupid revels. I think like, what? Yes. What's the the goal here? Like, just immediate death. The goal is the goal is to die. I, I yeah, I don't get it either. And I was terrified, and and the machine was just too powerful for me. You know, and, and you know, I, it, take, it before, takes a big man to admit, but you know, respect. It's very physical. You have to really grip the chassis with your thighs, and it's very hot, and it's just not. I just don't. I just don't understand it. I just really, I tried too. I mean, I, I went deep. I went in, I went to Wisconsin for the weekend to hang out with these people. That's how deep I went. I really tried. Spoken like a Was true it, New Yorker. I mean, I, you know, I, think, I, I have more questions, but but maybe I'll follow up with you offline. No, no, no. No, I, no that's literally what a podcast is for. Please go ahead. <laughs> unless, well, they're I, about my, unless they're about my thighs, and then we'll take it offline. I, I mean, it's, it's more about the chassis, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was this like a professional obligation? What made you think you wanted to do this? You know, I wanted basically a, a friend of mine approached me and was like, Hey, I, I'm working with this alcohol company. We're doing this big thing for, for Harley's anniversary. And I was like, okay, well I've actually, you know, participatory journalism is, is my beat. So like, I want to, I want I'll try to learn to ride a motorcycle and then I'll go to Wisconsin and ride in the Harley 40th anniversary ride. They do through town in, in Wisconsin. And I just, I, I, so we, my, my friend Yeo and I, who was the photographer that's coming with us, we both took the class in Glendale one weekend. Cause you said to take a class to get licensed and he passed and I failed, but we were still going on the trip. So like, <laughs> and I still, I mean, to be honest with you, I still had like the experience I wanted to have because I basically mm-hmm. wanted to under, understand why anyone would do this. And also like the lifestyle that people are so entrenched in, they love it so much. Um, and I did find, honestly, and being in Wisconsin was the only way to find this out. I did find that like it was a much more welcoming and diverse community than I ever thought it would be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, th- I thought it was going to be a bunch of fucking, you know, rednecks with, with guns. Um, and it actually was a lot of that, but not totally that. Um, and it was and Madison, Wisconsin was actually really beautiful in August. I had a nice time. Mm. Can't can't say better than that. The uh, <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin, I believe the alma mater of, uh, of Virgil Abloh. It is the alma mater of Virgil Abloh, and actually, they, there's He's a, a big, I believe, 
He's a cheesehead. He is. But I believe there's also a big Jewish community of New Yorkers that go to college there as well that I that I have heard about from other from other places. So it, it has many, many appeals to me. Mm, I, I can't wait to go, Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys, you guys, you guys will make it. We can all buy a loft for fifty thousand dollars and live there forever. You know. Well, Matthew, um, Matthew, lastly, is there anything that you're working on right now or any dream, like goal projects that one day you, you hope to accomplish, write a movie, write a book, uh, you know, whatever that may be? Yeah, I probably should, huh? Um, <laughs> no, not necessarily. No, We're not I trying mean, to pressure you. Or even something outside of, you know, the, the journalism, literary world. Um. We'll see. I mean, I sort of, I keep waiting for, you know, for, for divine inspiration strike or to, to work on something that I think, you know, I really want to kind of dig in and, and mm-hmm. stay on top of this for, for, you know, a year or multiple years at a stretch. I mean, uh, you know, I have so many friends who've written books and, and almost without exception, they say, you know, we thought it was going to be a lot of work, but in fact, it was like a shit ton of work. And, and I'm, I'm not afraid of that, but, but I think you really have to like hit on exactly the thing that you want to spend. Uh, kind of that much, well then, that have much you time with podcasting. Yeah. I, I mean the the Chris Black unauthorized biography or authorized biography. No, just you uh, having a podcast of your own. You have a you have oh, a good oh, podcast oh, oh. voice, I, and you have you a know. great you have a great podcasting voice. You really yeah. do. I, I'm sure you've heard that before, but it's exceptional. Wow! I honestly, I think I kind of have a gay voice. Yeah, podcasting uh, well, voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it. I find it very soothing, to be honest. I I remember when I was when I was still at the Times, um, Nomi, friend of the pod, Nomi Fry and I uh, worked. We're not quite together, but but in parallel, and we were absolutely convinced that we should have a podcast. And and I I mm-hmm. remain true to that conviction. I th- I think it is a hundred percent accurate. But we sort of tried to get anybody to 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 buy, bu- to buy into that idea to sign on. You know, and I mean, I have a friend who's a big podcast producer. There are podcast people at the Times, and and they kept saying like, "All right, you know what? What's what's your podcast?" And we just said, "You know, it's it's this. It's it's, it's just <laughs> have you it's just me? as talking. Like, I'm I'm not going to be you know railroaded into telling you what it's about. You know, it's <laughs> it's well, us I, talking. Like, and if you don't see the genius, someone else will. And of course, no one else ever has. But I remain <laughs> hopeful and." maybe even confident that at some point someone will. Well, that's the thing about podcasting. You know, it's a low barrier of entry. That's what we're able to succeed ourselves. It, it, you know, all you have to do is have a couple mics and a brain, and you can just take this thing on the road. Mm-hmm. And you might well, have to bootstrap it yourself a little bit before you start getting, you know, those corporate dollars behind you. But, you know, if you're willing to put in that sweat equity, then podcasting is for you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll tell New York Magazine I'm ready for like a full multi-year sabbatical to really dig into, well, into the like, podcast I feel, space. I, I feel like Vox, Vox Media has podcasting studios. I've been to those offices before. You know what I mean? It's, it's, all, it's the in your backyard. Vox studios are subpar. <laughs> yeah. that, that is, that's true. I, actually, I should probably plug that The Cut has a new podcast that, uh, that's great. And with, then with, I have uh, not, with Avery Truffleman, yeah? That's right. That's right. And I... I have not yet been invited on, but hopefully, uh, well, chatting it out on this show is gonna is gonna don't do the trick for me. Once the big media players who all listen to this show hear you, you know, you'll be invited on. Avery does yeah, not what, listen to this. What no, what kind of doesn't. apologies do I need to make uh, in in closing for for None, anybody? No, who, apo- no apologies. You were a, you were a very safe and measured guest. You didn't let it spray. I would wish you would have let it spray more, to be honest. But you know, I knew I'm working with a professional. Well, you know, you, it's, you it's, know. A, it's, a, it's a, the first time he's been on the show. We'll we'll wear him down a little bit, and he'll be he'll be spilling tea everywhere on episode two. 
That's true. And, you know, and, and just, just so you know, we're, we're hours away from our, our first Twitch broadcast live. How long gone live? So if, wow. you, if you, you like Twitch, you Matthew? Just, <laughs> I, I, I have to confess, I have not, it's, it's on my phone actually. I have downloaded it. Really? Um, I, I have downloaded, there was a, uh, Twitch comedy show. I was I was trying to watch at one point um, that I honestly couldn't couldn't fucking figure out one way or the other. But I uh, know I I am a I'm a Twitch virgin and and well, and I don't know well, if I'm ready for you guys to to change that. But it's nice to know the option is. We there. hope to not wow. pop anyone's Twitch cherry, but it may happen. Wow. Tonight. Okay. Well, I was gonna, I was going to say maybe you take a look and if you're interested, you know, you can come to LA. You can be a guest. But I understand. I understand. You have to ease your way in. We'll uh, we'll tell the private jet to just turn around and 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 go back to Teterboro, I guess. It's it's a toe dip at a time, you know, like, like baby steps. Mm-hmm. That's life. Um, where tell tell the people where they can find you on the World Wide Web before we before we let you go. Oh, I am uh, I'm Matthew Schneier on on basically all platforms except Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Matthew, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on, Matthew. The pleasure is all mine, fellas. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you soon, King. Later. Uh, Bye.